Hello, and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition Remix. My name is Hugh Crawford. I am one-third of the Kickers of Elves. And you might be asking yourself, what is this? What is the Rules of Acquisition Remix? Well, a little background information. The Rules of Acquisition started in February 2016, and it ended in the summer of 2019. And we thought it might be fun to go back and revisit those old episodes uh, starting from the very beginning and maybe provide some additional insight and historical context uh, for those episodes. And it might be fun to take a look and see what's changed with us personally. Maybe our opinions have changed on Trek. A lot has happened in the last three and a half years. So we thought maybe it might be worth taking a look at how things have changed. So for the first episode, I will be talking about Emissary. So without any further ado, here's Wade, James, and myself talking about Emissary. Stick around for the end of the episode for the additional commentary and uh, insights. Thanks a lot. Enjoy the show. One, two, three. Two, three. I think. I think that worked. All right. I didn't, all right. Okay. Wormhole. Provisional government. Oh yeah. Davo girls. Docking pylons. Oh yeah. Roundabouts. Homoerotic spycraft. Oh yeah. It's time for the rules of acquisition. Uh, oh, okay. I guess it's, uh, yeah, you're good. Wormhole. You're in. <laughs> All right. Hello, and welcome to Rules of Acquisition, a podcast where we'll be going through every episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, with me is James Nolan. Hello. And Hugh Crawford. Hello. I am Wade Bowen. And the first question I have for the two of you is um, why are we doing this again? <laughs> <laughs> Who's going first? You can go ahead, James. You go for, I think this may have been my suggestion. Uh, I love Deep Space Nine, and no one else I talk to does uh, seems to. So uh, I know you guys do. So I, I wanted to see what we could make of it. I think there's a lot of things going on. I think it's a pretty great show, um, and I think it's really interesting about where it fits in television and it's uh, at that time. And, like, where television is gone now. So I think it's a way to, like, you know, there's something, because it's a part of, like, dork culture. But there's, I think there's a lot more sort of more interesting layers going on for that time, uh, for the time, that, for the 90s, and what came after it in dork culture and sort of nerd culture and just basically culture now. Because it's pretty much the same thing. So I'm I'm interested in exploring that on a weekly basis. Um, and talking to you guys, because uh, nothing's more fun than talking about bad 90s sci-fi. Uh, <laughs> and there is, and there's some How of that dare here. You, sir. <laughs> that's not, dare let's you. be honest, there's some of that here, so that's why I want to do it. Hugh, what's your reasoning? 
Um, yeah, I'd kind of, uh, you know, build on what you said a little bit. I think that right now we're living in um, a golden age of television. Uh-huh. So I think Deep Space Nine in particular is interesting to see as like a precursor to a lot of what we like streaming on the streaming services. Uh, you know, movies are basically short stories and uh, television is basically like the great American novel. Big old novels, yeah. Or gr- or, yeah, great, great novels. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, previous Star Trek episodes, you know, with Kirk and uh, to uh, another extent, uh, the next generation, they work as like one off almost. Uh, it could almost be an anthology. But Deep Space Nine, on the other hand, is like one long story. Mm-hmm. They set up everything in this first episode and some of the stuff doesn't get resolved until the very last episode of the series oh yeah so in that sense it's basically one long star trek story uh from beginning to end and i think that's fascinating and i don't think that yeah yeah i think it's it's one that makes it makes an, an interesting precursor to the golden age of television that we're living in right now and and worth examining yeah okay yeah, I just wanted to hang out with you guys, but <laughs> and you that's, that's and answer. you just happened to see all of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I do, I do have a soft spot for Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. It's the first Star Trek I remember seeing from the beginning, watching the first episode with my uh, parents. I know a few people that hold a soft spot for Deep Space Nine, but they're the smart ones. But I'm not doing podcasts with them. <laughs> well, that's what I was gonna say. Like, where do we all come from on this? Yeah, well, I, it's funny that you, what you before we even get. Well, maybe I'll let you do the description. But as this as episodic or television that telling a whole arc, and mm-hmm. I always thought of this that way too. But uh, even this first episode, this time rewatching it, I watched it as just one. Star Trek episode of classic Star Trek, almost like space, uh, Twilight Zone with one story, and it works really well. Just as like, oh, a guy who goes through some trauma uh, and has to resolve it in one episode. Yeah, and opens up like a space highway. And mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so this the name of this episode is Emissary. It first aired January third, nineteen ninety three, and according to IMDb, the it says, when the troubled Commander Sisko takes command of a surrendered space station, he learns that it borders a unique, stable wormhole. Director David Carson, writers credited, uh, Gene Roddenberry, of course, based upon the Star Trek created by Rick Berman, and let's see, there's four more credits. Michael Piller is the uh, big one. Yeah, Michael Piller, yep. So... Yeah, that's what we're we're dealing with. It's the very first. It's the pilot episode, uh, like Star Trek: The Next Generation. You've got the previous, the characters from the previous Star Trek iteration, kind of helping kick it off. Not so gently this time, because <laughs> when we first see Picard, he uh, Picard basically is responsible for the death of Captain or Commander Sisko's <laughs> wife, which brings which brings the grand total. Of uh, Starfleet spouses that he's responsible for the death of t- up to two, 
Yeah. Right? That's true. Yeah. Yes. Grand to- he's up to two now, right? And I think, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> he's uh, working sorry, on Mr. Crusher. Dr. Crusher's, yeah, Dr. Crusher's husband, he's responsible for the death of, and, uh, poor Cisco's wife. Yeah, he's less loving towards Picard than, uh, Dr. Crusher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's he's got he's got real fuck you eyes in this. Episode. Yes. Oh my god, I yeah. loved everything about that. I loved that was like a weird gauntlet. I thought that like they the creators put down on this episode. It was like, oh, we'll bring in Picard, but we'll treat him like a sack of shit. Like, <laughs> you yeah. bring him at his lowest moment, and then you bring our hero Avery Brooks in, and like. And just basically just treat him like he's the stankiest bitch on the street. Like, and Picard knows it too. He, Picard yes. knows he's a piece of shit. Yeah, he's he like, just yeah. has to sit there and eat it. Yeah, he's like, oh, and okay. pour fucking tea. <laughs> and I, at first, I thought it was awkward that Picard doesn't say anything. Like, hey, guy, I was, you know, that was that was hard for me. I was, I was a victim. He doesn't say any of that. He didn't say anything because he's British. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But he's not really. He's French. Right. Well, yeah. But yes, he. But but Patrick Stewart's instincts are all British. You can't talk about feelings. So yeah. Yeah. I loved very about much it. You were, so. I, I know we talked about it like as standing alone, as like in like as a piece of like just one. What what is it? Ninety minutes. Well, yeah. But it it clearly <laughs> sets up everything. It does. But that but that beginning. If you had not watched, if you were not familiar with Best of Both Worlds. That's a weird intro. Oh, yeah. There's, like, a robot guy. He's killing everybody. I mean, it does a Star Wars crawl at the beginning. <laughs> well, they try to give you, like, a little, like, thing. But, like, they give you... But it's, like, robot guy killing killing his family. But now he's, like, the good guy. <laughs> and they don't explain... And I don't want them to because I watched that shit. And I know. But, like, from a standalone piece of television, it was, like, something weird, robots, whatever. Move on. <laughs> right. I think what you're saying is, like, right off the bat, they're, like, this ain't amateur hour. Yeah. We're going to incorporate a <laughs> lot of shit. Yes. You know, this isn't... This is the different – in this point in time in Star Trek's history, you had the people who just like you – know, it was in syndication. You knocked off school. Mm-hmm. You watched you, you watched it and had a bowl of cereal in front of the TV, whatever. And then there were the other people, the people who were buying the fucking books, right? <laughs> the, guy, the guys editing for Memory Alpha, yeah. Yeah. The, the people <laughs> – yeah, yeah. this is the first series yeah. for the people who are buying the fucking books mm-hmm. because you've got species yeah. that were introduced – you know, all coming into play in the big ways, you know, in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, like I remember watching every, well, every week watching Star Trek. And then when they announced the end of it and they're like, they're doing a new series. And then like the launch to this felt like a big event to me. It was the first event television that I remember almost. Wow. Going in, like, okay, and this is going to set forward. So when I was talking about, oh, it actually works well as a one-off, because I've never looked at it that way. Even when I started watching it, I was like, okay. In so much that, in some ways, I was disappointed when I watched through part of it the first time, and then later on, it's like, at how much they set up in this first episode, but then realize that nobody cares as much, so they don't spend as much time on it. Like all the religious stuff, and him being the emissary, they do it, but it's like just as much because they have to. Right. 
Yeah, well, I mean, like, he starts, they start off the emissary here and all of that stuff. Like, then the last season where, oh, we, we we're going to be spoiler good, so never mind. But, like, by the end of the season, by the end of the entire show, like, seven seasons later, they're doing the emissary stuff and, like, where that ends and, like... Right. Yeah, and Odo's parents. I mean, they're setting it up yeah. now, and the fact that I mean, that was like you. I don't know how much they knew about who Odo's parents were or where Odo came from, but like they knew they were going to get to it. Yeah, and they set it up as I mean, it's all in that episode. He came from the Donori Belt or whatever they called it, which is near the wormhole. He was probably. Right. He says, "I'm probably from the." the the Gamma Quadrant. So I don't know, right? Because that, they it opened the a wormhole opened where near where he was found. Yes, right, and that's where they found the orbs too. So right, right. so he thinks he, he's somehow connected, and he he could give two shits about what happened <laughs> on that station until they say that. <laughs> yeah, right. So basically, the first half of this is just introducing all the characters and slowly, good and slowly too. Right? I like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. like. I'm sorry. You'd think maybe that they would rethink having civilians on military missions. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, your wife's dead. <laughs> well, th- okay, I was going to say this. Uh, I know I'm, I'm supposed to be the guy that accumulates all of the, the trivia, so I've got to read through all that stuff and sort of bring trivia to the table here. Yeah, let's hear it. Well, no, but, and I'll, I'll sprinkle it. It's peppered. My, my observations will seem peppered with research. One of the things that I looked up on here was that the Saratoga, the ship at the beginning that he was the first mate of or whatever that got killed by Picard. Uh, that was the first time that family members were shown on a sub galaxy class ship vessel. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that in most of them, they didn't only the galaxy classes had like family members on the ships. But at the time I was reading that, I was like, I guess that's interesting trivia, but that's the kind of trivia that I think dumps Trekkies. Because I'm kind of like fucking nitpicky Trekkies, you know. But you just made up a point that was like, yeah, that uses that to like some interesting effect. So, yeah, maybe we should go ahead and mention that uh, as far as our vision for the show, that we're not looking to be your hard... I have... Well, you know, they were using this class, the shuttle there, and blah, blah, blah. Though I love that, and any nerds out there that want to yell at me for that stuff, I love you. <laughs> That's one thing. It's like there's so much you read about. It's like, uh, you know, because I come from it from a not, like, my interest in Star Trek, I would say, is an aberration to my interest with a lot of hard sci-fi. That's not something I'm interested in, but for some reason I'm interested in Star Trek. And so what's most interesting to mm-hmm. me is what's interests me in everything is give me some good characters, give me some good emotional language, some emotional development, some give me some growth, <laughs> give me some crying, not a lot of crying, but I need a little bit of crying. Give me some wants and dreams and some some failure. I need to see that. I need to see it. Yeah. But then when I was going through this, I, every half the things I look about is about the design of the runabout and the design of Deep Space Nine. I was like, I don't care about none of that shit. <laughs> Like, I literally don't care what Deep Space Nine looks like. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's too bad they spend the whole credit sequence showing you different angles of the station. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whereas in all the other ones, they're like, look at us travel through the universe and the galaxy. But then it's like, here's here's one side of the station. Here's another. And here's the, the comet. And the station is... Is designed by the Cardassians, the bad guys of the series. They gotta look like bad and, guys, yeah. And and why couldn't 
you know, it would have been interesting if the yeah. Cardassians had taste. I mean, if they're <laughs> the bad guys, just because they're the bad guys doesn't mean everything's got to be so cold and ugly. And they had super, super uncomfortable looking uh, outerwear for their soldiers. <laughs> All that with the pointy <laughs> chest thing. I'm like, that. Yeah, it's like, just you, you don't have cool. to telegraph that. It could have been a very interesting thing if they had a, like a flair for pastels or something. Especially, especially around their weird neck veins. Yeah. Right. Well, I always assumed that Cardassians had almost a weird crab-like physique underneath the armor thing, like the yeah. little, like the neck thing was part of the back plate or something. Oh, they might. But who knows? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> some, some are, the young ones are, are blue shelled, so mm-hmm. they, they're really easy to crack open. <laughs> you can eat their shells, <laughs> like you could crack yeah. them open and eat. But them. like that was the thing I was thinking of uh, is that. But on the other hand, this show is like gets really deep into like lore and religion, and I'm interested in that stuff. I'm just not interested in the runabouts <laughs> or or the, <laughs> the warp engines. So, well, these don't have warp engines, right. but yeah, whatever, you know. So that's where I stand. Just give me some character. I think that this this series, one of its like greatest strengths uh-huh. is the fact that it, it takes a, a nice long look at how religion fits yeah. in, you know, alongside a society that is run by essentially science. But it's also its greatest weakness, too. I think that its greatest strength is also its greatest weakness. I think they got really into having an Oscar-nominated actress to play one of the religious this isn't in this episode at all but it's later on in the series yeah yeah and she she's not uh, she she was really good at when flew over the cuckoo's nest i'm not trying to take that away from nurse ratchet whatever her name is what's her real name does any of us know i used to she's from my hometown of birmingham alabama oh shit yeah i don't know her name but yes yeah her i saw her at a film festival one time oh really where she introed one flew over the cuckoo's nest yeah. was she nice yeah, she was great. She was super nice and talked about how she hadn't done anything except for that in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> she hasn't, has she? I don't remember Not her name. Much. But anyway, she was great on the show. But uh, but no, she was great in that. But she she was uh, she was chewing some scenery in this show. And I remember there was long stretches of episodes where I'm just watching her kind of overact. Well, you, oh, you didn't see anybody overacting in this first episode. Oh, I totally. Maybe. Oh, I totally. <laughs> Yeah. Most of my comments are acting notes. So. Does Cisco have PTSD or is it just bad acting? Is that Okay, that's... okay, okay. Can we talk about Cisco? Cuz I got hit and his acting performance. Cuz I have I have Oh, I think he's fantastic. You think he's I think he's good later in the series. I think he's in this it's like if it's PTSD it might be genius, but I don't think it is cuz he's like yeah, then talking talking talking. Ow! <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Or just touching his son on the face. I think that maybe he's I don't think they let him off the chain. I think that he's they're they're really careful with this first episode on the characterization of their new main character. And I don't know You think he's I, being an Obama? I feel like where like the first year of Obama's presidency where he couldn't have he couldn't be angry, he couldn't get upset, he couldn't you know, all of these things because you don't want uh because I don't know the boxes we put black men in. Yeah, I think there's carefully managing. I think in some scenes you can see Avery Brooks making deliberate choices, mm-hmm. and I think in some scenes he's doing what he's told because there's a green screen behind him. <laughs> you know, yes. 
and he's just he doesn't know what he's looking at and he's just being you know and he's just so yeah i think that part of the, the problem is that he's in star trek and part of the problem is is that that you know the i think some of the writing some of the dialogue is a little ham-fisted right a little bit. right <laughs> and it seems like it's like him struggling with that and just all right i'm gonna go for it but it's levels it's spikes where he's just going and then he, well, okay. he lashes out. Okay, so most of my notes that I took were actually on Avery Brooks's performance. I, I'm, I'm in the middle. I, I think that he, I think he is spotty in this episode. But like, no, nothing was contrasted that more. But then pretty early on, after they get off the Saratoga—is that what it's called? After they shoot off in the escape pod away from Picard, like there's this moment, and I, I get the feeling that he chose to do that moment. It's where the escape pod—they did the rear view of the escape pod right, shooting out—and he does mm-hmm. like a quick, like angry jerk as like the escape, like it's part of like the Star Trek shaking set thing. But he does it in yes. such a deliberate and intense way. And he immediately, like, he jerks and then immediately snaps back to his original position and has no facial expression whatsoever because he just watched his wife die. And you're seeing behind it the Borg blow up the ship and everything. And I was like, something about watching Avery Brooks do that was, like, one of the most intense acting choices and probably one of my favorite acting moments is in in Star Trek. Star Trek. Yeah. And then the next scene is him with Jake, which, oh, my God, Jake. Uh, I know he's like a 14-year-old boy, but still. Okay, uh, with Jake in the fishing hole in the holodeck, and <laughs> right. he is like Tommy was so bad in that epi- in that <laughs> scene. And I think that – and then you have like the scene with Picard later on. I think he may be like a talent sponge. He may be as good as who he's with. Ooh, okay. Interesting. So when he's with, uh, let's say, uh, Terry Farrell – is that her name? The – Dax. Yeah. Yeah. We can't call her Terry Farrell. Uh, Terry when he's with Perry Farrell, and, and they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're hanging out behind Lollapalooza. No, when he's with Terry Farrell, or Farrell, whatever her name is, Dax. We're going to call but, her Perry Farrell from now on. Perry Farrell. When he's with Perry Farrell, <laughs> she, and I'm sorry, in these first couple of episodes, she's so bad. Yeah. Dax's addiction. <laughs> Dax's addiction is so bad that I think that he like I feel like he maybe plays to their level. You know, like when you're playing ball with your kids. (laughs) Yeah, I get that because he's pretty good in those Picard scenes. He's good in both Picard scenes. Yeah, and he's kind of I know it's weird and he's just there in like a shining light, but like he's good in like when he gets like later on when he's talking to like the spirits of the wormhole or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's good in he's, he's Star Trek good. Let's say that right. he's Star Trek good in those scenes. So he's really rose the occasion. He's, yeah, because he's acting his ass off. Yeah, including yeah. the scenes where he's talking to Jennifer. Because oh my god, she she's worse than <laughs> she's the worst she's, than Jake. Yeah. Yes. Also, I would just like to point out that in the advanced, <laughs> listen, I I felt he, he didn't have a whole lot to work with in yeah. some of those Jennifer scenes. Oh my god, I, mean, I think he's doing the best. He, he he's like this. There's not a whole lot of meat on the bone here. Mm-hmm. I gotta figure. And he probably doesn't have a whole lot of time to, to like build off of it. I, I think you know. I think that he's, no, he's making choices and he's going going for it. Yeah, and it just, just just doesn't work. <laughs> but I I know. But you're. I'm not saying it's because he's a bad actor. I'm just thinking it's maybe circumstantial. I think. Oh, I think he's a great actor. I think he does some yeah. bad acting in this episode, though. I'm just going to make a blatant statement that outside of Patrick Stewart, 
It may be Leonard Nimoy at his best. Avery Brooks is the best actor on Star Trek. On anything Star Trek. I, I, I would agree. And I think that sometimes, I, I love his choices. To, sometimes he talks just barely above a whisper. Uh-huh. Have you noticed that? Yes. <laughs> and that's like my favorite thing. He actually has you leaning into the damn TV. <laughs> you know what I mean? He like draws you in. And when he's got a good line, like that that scene where he comes in to meet Kara for the first time. And she goes, I, I assume you want your office. And he was like, well, I was going to say hello. And then I was going to mm-hmm. take the office. Yeah. Like, that's a yeah. great line. And he delivered that, like, mm, awesome. And he did it with that whisper. I was going to say hello. <laughs> and then I was going to <laughs> then I was gonna take the office. But um, but we could do it any way you want. <laughs> you know, how about the other, the other scene with Kira where she's, like, hauling shit around. And, he, and she's like, I assume you Starfleet. Oh, yeah guys don't like hard work and he looks around and he just picks up something at random and shoves it somewhere and then he lifts up his lifts up his arms like what now and that was so weird and wonderful but at the same time wonderful yes you know i felt like that was like all his idea i I don't know but but when you're written a line that I hear Bajor is a beautiful world, like that you're talking, <laughs> like I don't know, like because that's what I, 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 it was a was it was a Tommy was so level. I hear Bajor is a beautiful world, <laughs> like it was like it was such a strange delivery and so poor, and I and I think probably like it may be the way Star Trek shoots is they got to yeah. do a lot of scenes yeah. and then like a, you know and then like they're gonna say cut and then Jake's got to play the 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 prophets of the wormhole and like well what is linear time dad you know like <laughs> i don't understand the past dad you know or whatever he's got to be saying in those scenes you know like i i think it's probably if you put yourself there it's a weird position oh I, it has to have been yeah. yeah and terry farrell sucked at it i read about it they she thought she was going to be fired in this episode <laughs> really yeah she apparently got there late like she was a late hire and so like they had already filmed like mini scenes and so like at the end they were just kind of like gonna do all the Dax scenes and so oh that makes sense and so Dax, it feels like that almost yeah and then so Dax addiction comes in <laughs> and they just like throw some spots on her face and then like say start acting you're oh by the way you're 356 year old man <laughs> and so they do all of that and she's and she apparently sucks and she's blowing takes because she's the one that's got to say like the the neutrino fields around the plexar plasma is you know she's got to deliver those lines the techno battle yeah, there's, a, there's a large uh number of photons or yes. protons coming Neutri- out in this area yeah neutrinos and the protons in the front yeah she's the one that's got to deliver those lines and she's awful so, like, I think that she thought the whole time she was like, I thought I was getting fired. And I, she said, <laughs> I, I kind of was happy about that. <laughs> but, uh, but, and so I think that that may have, like, just no one was comfortable shooting it. Though their shooting budget was higher than um, Undiscovered Country. What? Yeah, yeah. Their shooting budget for this. Where, where did the money go? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I mean, think... I love, I love this episode, but. Undiscovered Country is a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, Undiscovered Country is the best, in my opinion, the best Star Trek movie. It's my favorite too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. Is it? Not, I, I like it more than Khan, and I like it more than uh, Whales. 
Wow. The whales I never liked very much. It's the end of the cold it's the end of the Cold War with like the I like all of that. I mean Khan is hard to beat, but I do, ha- I do have a soft spot for Undiscovered Country. Khan's good, don't get me wrong. But it's written, it's written and directed by the guy who did that, that, right. that movie. So, I mean, and also the 2% Solution, which is a great movie, a great Sherlock Holmes movie that he wrote and directed. But, uh, okay. anyway. <laughs> Not Star Trek, don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, good. Uh, no, I mean, uh, I do, so- but not... Not now's not the place. And that's not Star Trek. Um, but no, yeah, it apparently had a bigger budget, and I think maybe they're including like because they had to build all the sets and everything for like a new show, for the whole series, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, and that may be including like all like Avery Brooks's first year salary, as opposed to whatever they paid Christopher Plummer and. Right, the cold, the you know, the cold nickels or whoever, to be in undiscovered country. How much could Walter Koenig cost to get in a movie? So I mean, I think he paid to get in. <laughs> <laughs> I pay you just to be in a show. Right, Chekhov had to get his checkbook out to show up. <laughs> it's like making movie in Russia. No, okay. <laughs> Okay, so okay, since we're going through the plot pretty pretty linearly here, why does why <laughs> is <laughs> you making a point of saying linearly? I, linearly, yes. No, what is the point of keeping Quark on the ship? Because I get it at the end of the episode because they're like the they're if if the biggest without gambling in in Synthahol. Like they're it'll, like the economy will collapse. I guess. But they're not a city; they're a military outpost. I get at the end they're like the last hotel at the end of the world. I get that by the end of the episode. But at the beginning, they're just a military outpost. Can't they just make a commissary like open? Well, but they, but everybody else is leaving. So he sees everything leaving, and he knows. I mean, I think Cisco does a good job of re- recognizing that they need. Commerce. Why do they need all the Bajorans right. are going back to Bajor? Everybody's leaving. If it's a military outpost, why do they need a civilian? Why do they need a civilian population to begin with? Because he's got a kid that needs friends. <laughs> <laughs> so just to keep, he, Jake has already asked him, "Will there be kids there?" And he's, yeah, he's yes. got to make good on that. So he, making sure the bar stays open is the first step. <laughs> right. So the first, so the first kid he sees, he throws in jail to make sure. the bar keep open. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm going to keep at least one kid here yeah. <laughs> that my kid can play with in the brig. Don't don't worry, Jake. That kid's not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, so what what are, what what else of like what other beats of the show did you like or not like or did everybody? I noticed. Well, O'Brien at one point when Kira comes in, I think I can't forget. I forget who he talks to, but he says, "Oh, you've never served with any Bajoran women, have you?" <laughs> Meaning, like, he's only served with one, one. Bajoran woman, Ensign Row, right? Yes. And if right. we're supposed to be so forward-thinking and evolved, how come he meets one Bajoran woman and decides, <laughs> you ever ser- they're all bitches? <laughs> yes. He's stereotyping really fast. <laughs> oh, you've never served with a no Bajoran before. Bajoran women, that is. Are all O'Brien is a lot like uh, your average Reddit poster. I meet one. Yeah, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I think Wade brings up a good point. Oh, I think in doing this rewatch, O'Brien is the most awkwardly placed character here. Yeah. Because he was not much more than set dressing for like five years. <laughs> yes. And then all of a sudden we're supposed to listen to him, to him say words for, you know, 45 <laughs> minutes. It's kind of weird. Yeah, he literally had like – I think there were a couple of O'Brien episodes on Deep yeah, Space. Yeah, well, because – yeah, his wife, he had the whole pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, with Worf. I know. And yeah, yeah. But, they have his little girls running around for a while on TNG. Yeah. Yeah. How about that goodbye with Picard and Mile and, and O'Brien? It's like that was the most awkward. It was the br- most Britishy thing I've ever watched. I liked it. Yeah, <laughs> I I liked it a lot, but it's like you know Picard is clearly the boss who barely notices his employees <laughs> because he barely had any. He was trying to come up with some. He was trying to build a moment, and he's like, "I love how you do your job. This is your yeah. favorite transporter yeah. room. Like, right. why the hell would this is your favorite trans? I I feel like I know O'Brien as like a character. I've spent a lot of time with him. I sure he doesn't strike me as someone that would have a fucking favorite transporter room. Really, really, because he does to me. Me too. He seems very particular. I don't. I don't get it. Like I don't. I. I, I don't know. I, it seems to me that like he's. You know, because there's a thing about him. He's the only non-enlisted we've ever really gotten to know in Star Trek. So he was like drafted, or he like he was you drafted. know he he filled out a form at job fair at his plan uh, you know in <laughs> Ireland and like. <laughs> He he didn't get into his safety school, and so he went and joined Starfleet. Right. He, he's an enlisted. He's the only enlisted soldier we ever really get to meet on the show. I don't know if Voyager has one or not. They don't. I didn't know that that was a thing, enlisted. What? <laughs> like, I didn't th- think that was a thing in the Federation. Yeah. No, there's officers, Starfleet officers, are, go to the academy, go to and the, the enlisted people are just like the scrub, you know, just like in real life. Yeah, so he's yeah. like a red, he's like, I mean, he he joined the military. He didn't, oh, he never went yeah. to Starfleet Academy. Then. No, no, no. That's no. why he can't get promoted. That's why he's petty officer. That's why he can't, like, he is, I think he's at his maximum promotion level. He's essentially, huh. like, when you hear, like, someone retire from the military at, like, major, you know, they've been in it for 40 years and they're a major sergeant, that just means that they can't promote you to anything more because you never had officer training so like he's just a he's an enlisted guy and hmm. so he's really at his peak uh, at some point he's going to retire and go do something else and they're just trying right. to eke out like another six months of of his usage so that he can retire at a higher pay pension and i think that's why he's taken like if it was real military that's why he's taken the job mm-hmm. so he, you know, so he's like a work a day dude. You know, he's gonna at some point go back to Ireland and go back to school on the GI Bill and and run, you know, and run a Target or something. You know, like <laughs> being being executive direct, you know, manager of a Target. That's his future in this post capitalist future where nobody has any money. Well, I don't know about I don't I don't know about <laughs> post capitalist future, but I mean that that's what. He's not, you know, he doesn't get to do specialer things. So, you know, so it's nice to see, like, just sort of a workaday dude. I don't know. I Like, I like seeing that, and I just don't think... I, I get that he's particular about his tools and he's good at his job. They make that very clear in this episode. But there's a lot of, like... 
I don't know. Like, I got a favorite transporter room, and I, I'm really particular about my captains and all of that. I don't know. I, I feel like it was just more Star Trek stoking and, and not necessarily in O'Brien's character. That's all I've got to say about it. So I think we're kind of split on O'Brien. I think that I, I like what they're trying to do with O'Brien. I just think that they miss most of the time. I do, too. I I think he's fine in this. Like, uh, Wait, no, no, no. I love Col- Colm Meany. And I love, yeah. like, I think he's a great actor. And I love the character of O'Brien. And I like him in this show. Really? What? What? I really, I really don't, I don't like him until later, I think. I think right at this point, I am You think he's particularly bad in this episode? I'm like, why is he? He's not bad. I just, he, just not interesting. Uh, yeah, they struggle. Yeah. I think, I, I think I read, I read somewhere that they stuck him in the show because they thought he was going to leave. Oh. It's because he started, you know, because he's like a movie, uh, for a while in the 90s, he was like a movie star. Right, like, out of all of the, he's the most, like, dependable actor. He yeah. never really sucks. You know, he's in, like, movies, he was in Layer Cake, and he's on shows still. He still gets, yeah. he's still a hard-working actor. He's, he's probably right, made right. more money than anybody on this show. So, right. uh, I don't know about Rene Ibergenois with that Benson money. I don't know how much that went. But, I mean, like, Cole Meany... <laughs> Colmini's got a good career, and I think that what happened yeah. was is that they had a extra on the Next Generation that liked being an extra on Next Generation, who also, who apparently started taking movie roles, and they thought he was going to leave. So Rick Berman pinned him with a bigger role. They had they felt like they had an up and coming movie star. That makes sense. Or like character actor. Oh, you think, oh, they had like a hot commodity they're trying to hold on to. Rick Berman said that they wanted to shuttle him. I think the hope was, is that someone would leave Star Trek. Like, uh, I don't know, like not Brent Spine, but like Jordy or something. But they kept those actors around and that you, then you can move Comini up to a role. Kind of like when Tasha Yar left next generation that made a space oh so they put him on the b team is what you're saying yeah he was he was like an understudy for like a better role kind of like how michael dorn got to be a bigger role when chasha yar died Ah, so i think that that was what they were doing and it just never happened so they were like let's stick him on the you know because they're trying to get every next generation so star trek stacking the deck yes star trek stacking the deck um in case uh something doesn't pan out Yes. That's what you're trying to say. You have two great first basemen. It's time to trade one of them to Deep Space Nine. Right. So I think that's what they're doing. <laughs> Death to the opposition. Yes. yes. <laughs> and maybe to keep them off of uh, Babylon 5, which I think <laughs> was a thing at the time. So Right, yeah. right. That was at the same time, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right, so... Do we need to talk about any of the new characters' introductions, or? Uh, yeah, I guess we're first time we're ever talking about any of these people. Is Odo good? Is Renee Albertinois good? So we talked about Dax's addiction, and she was worried about getting fired. Yes, we we talked about Cisco. We don't like Jake. We're we're kind of split on uh, O'Brien. Uh-huh. What do you guys think about our new first officer? Uh, Major Kira, Ooh. who is actually a first officer who – it's the first time we have somebody second in command that is not a Starfleet officer. Very true. It's, I feel like they really wish they had uh, Michelle – what's her name? Michelle, but, Mich- Michelle Forbes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Not a visitor is everybody's favorite second choice. No. <laughs> I, I, I've already had this convers—I've already had this conversation with way uh, with you, so I—I I think she's awful. Really? <laughs> right. And I—I I think she's shrill. I think she's acting like a fourteen-year-old boy. I think like that's the way she's playing a role. But that being said, I—I think the show—the sh- show writes. I think the opposite. <laughs> I think the show writes her well. I, yeah, I, they wrote I, her I, as a fourteen-year-old boy in this. <laughs> Well, that like, and, oh, she's, and she she's gets another. a scene. She gets a scene at the end, and I think that in comparison, she does better in her sort of big scene, big like the scene between the stare down with the Cardassians. I think she's just as good in that scene as Riker is in any of his decision making. Yeah, I think she does stand. well in that scene. I, I don't. I don't hate her as much as you do. I don't think. No, but. I don't know. There's something <laughs> about her that just doesn't. I. She's pitched so broad and so like angry. There's not a nuance. There's not. Yeah, I, I blame that on the writing. Yeah. Okay. I I like I like her performance. I like how wild-eyed she is. I like how she's basically somebody who had a very traumatic life. She's been fighting. She's been like in battle mode her entire life. The war's over, and she still hasn't dialed it down any. I like that about her performance. I think it's very, I think it's very interesting. I, th- I, I think she's got a wild look in her eye, and <laughs> I, you know, the chip on her shoulder is. It, I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think it's like we've all uh, people who know us or uh, know that we've all done a, our fair share of uh, small level theater <laughs> sure and you know that when you miscast there's a way that you could miscast an actress to play outside like or an actor or anybody to play outside of their type that they end up projecting so broadly that it it's such a a f- sort of a large funny performance where she ends up shouting all of her you know all of her lines are delivered like you know everything is pitched at such a high pit uh high high level that it's just it's grating to me and and it wears me down over like if i remember watching it my first run through her performance ultimately wears me down and i end up giving a shit about her and i like her you know like i like how relentless she is yes i I, I like that I like that she's always dialed up to 10 and no matter what the situation is. And it, I, I, I like that about her. And I think they actually use that to some certain extent. Yeah. You know, I, because it's, she's like an unwieldy force of nature that, that Cisco has to figure out how he's going to like use on his side. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I like her as a character, and I like the everything about the character I like on the page. Maybe not her actual dialogue, because it's Star Trek. There's bad, there's there's boners all over this place. Sure. But um, yes, uh, but I mean, I like the idea of this, you know, separatist rebel who's led this awful life, and now she's like at this moment, and I feel like the Bajorans are. Like the way Israelis probably were in the 1950s, you know, like a little bit of chip on your shoulder, a little bit kind of wanting to murder and like victimize some some motherfuckers, but also like trying to be, you know, civilized and have like a perspective about it and play and play a smart political game to help her people. And I 
I think that all of that is there in that character. And I don't think that she does much to interfere with it, but just there's a way that like, she just, I don't know. I, 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 so, you know, I feel like her performance is like a suit that she, a part of her uniform that she wears and not like a natural part of her. And that is grating to me. But like I said, over the course of the show, her character is very interesting. It never runs out of places to go. They do stuff with her. So it's, she's not like the Riker of the show, where it's like they, right. they, they just ran out of ideas for you. So you're just there to spew exposition at us or let people spew <laughs> exposition at you. You know, so, so she's definitely a character. So she's better than Riker or something like that. But yeah, she's she she may be my personal least favorite. Even though Dax's addiction is way worse as, in this episode, at least as far as performance, uh, Kira Kira is my least favorite performance. Hey Wade, mm-hmm. what characters did we miss in the introduction? I feel like we're missing somebody. Julian's pretty throwaway in this. He is. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Wet behind the ears. Yeah. Do you know there's a scene on the bridge where, like, you know, everybody's like, we, we've got massive I-beam casualties from I-beam. Yeah. Sl- and, yeah. Like, yeah. And they're like, hey, why don't you right. go do your job, asshole? Yeah. Like, why are you fucking here? <laughs> go do your job. So there's a scene between him and Odo that is they just took the dialogue between uh, Hawkeye and Renee Abergenois' character in the movie M.A.S.H., <laughs> the dialogue between them, between Bashir and Odo, is the dialogue between Hawkeye and what whoever character Renee Abergenois oh, played in Mash. It's just funny. that dialogue. But oh, I don't funny. know. Shouldn't you have a doctor? Get down here and help me. Yeah, yeah. He's he's Bashir's awful in this. <laughs> well, well, that makes sense because your two least favorite people end up getting married in real life, right? They did. And what was his <laughs> name? His name. I was always tripped out by his name. On the first season, he's Elsa Dig Fadar or something. Right. Doesn't he have two names? That's kind of a badass name. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, that's their uh, Idic infinite diversity, infinite combination. They haven't really had any Egyptian or a Middle Eastern guy. Yeah. Who looks like a white guy. But. Yeah. Sadig El Tahir or El Fadil. Is what he goes by. Sadig El Fadil in this season. And then he changes it to Alexander Sadig. Anyway, so that's always tripped me up. I didn't realize he changed it to, yeah, I remember him as Alexander. I didn't know they had him build as differently in this one. That's interesting. Yeah, in the first in the first two seasons, I think he was trying to, like, get his, you know, he was very trying to embrace his roots. And then, and then eventually he was trying to embrace getting a job. Right. So. That works for Star Trek when they're trying to be all diverse. But for the rest of Hollywood, they're like... Uh, that sounds... Okay, you can play a terrorist. How about that? Yeah, and so even now, where... Well, the terrorist job's really flooded to him. I, he was on 24. He was on uh, Syriana. He's gotten... He's been one of the go-to terrorists. Oh, okay. See, I didn't even pay attention. All I know is that he was on Game of Thrones, <laughs> where everyone is, Hey, it's Dr. Julian Bashir. Yeah, it's Dr. Bashir. Why are they giving him more things to do on the show? <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah, he's nothing yet. So we don't have to talk about him much. Our uh, uh, Quark. Oh yeah, I think I like Quark more than I'm. I I think I would. 
I think yeah, Armin Shimmerman does great job with him. I think yeah, oh, he's, he's a great, he's fantastic. As I, he, his, he can convey so much under all that makeup. Right. Yes. Well, he's played so many Ferengis by this point. They're like, oh well, we have to put him in as the a, <laughs> right. a regular role. He's played a Ferengi every time we've had one. Yeah. He was like, yeah, he's a, he's an interesting, and he's uh, he's great in Buffy too. I love that character so much, and I don't think that I like him for the comic relief crap, which is how he's used. It's, I think it's interesting. He's one of the more complex characters. He's a very American character. He's a capitalist. He's the capitalist <laughs> point of view for him. Yeah, but like he's that there's this like sort of like you know all of these Starfleet officers. You get to him, and I don't recognize these motherfuckers. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know who these people are. I don't, everybody's so good and everybody's so like, nobody fights and nobody like is basic and no, you know, Picard never just gets up and is fucking grumpy and yells at like somebody for no reason. Unless a kid gets on the bridge. Unless a kid's there and then he's stoic. Yeah. But no, there's something about watching like an American on the show and Quark is definitely that. Right. Yeah, especially nowadays, I want more Americans in your our sci-fi. <laughs> Everybody wants uh, we're gonna be all serious, so we're gonna throw more British people. I mean, I'm I'm excited about Star Wars. I love all the actors, but it's like, yeah, how come we can't have Americans anymore? Yeah, the beautiful thing about Han Solo was Han Solo was American. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I and I'm not of this. I'm not. I'm not like a big right wing nut. Obviously, you guys know that. Right, I'm right. a big left wing nut, but. Um, <laughs> But there is something about watching somebody who's so driven by money and uh, that sort of drives all of his interpersonal relationships that I think is so interesting. Well, it's interesting because the whole conceit of Star Trek being we've evolved beyond capitalism, but at the same time being this infinite diversity and infinite combination where we're going to respect everybody's views (laughs) so that there's like, so we're post-capitalist, but at the same time... We can't be fuck your ideology because it's yeah. supposed to be about acceptance. <laughs> right. So it's cool that they finally work that. And they're not truly post-capitalist because else he wouldn't have needed Quark to stay on Deep Space Nine. Well, he needed that to to foster a better environment, which is for the Bajorans, anyways. And the because yeah. yeah, because you know even Quark says at some point it's like, "Hey, I'm not going to be acting under Federation rules because yeah. he knows <laughs> that doesn't involve capitalism." Or money. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, I liked all of that. I was going to say, while we're kind of at the end here, that one of the things that didn't occur to me until I was reading up on some some of the stuff about this episode is that Rick Berman pitched it as a, I don't, as a Western town with, like, oh. Cisco as the sheriff and Kira's, like, right. the, the native attache and Odo's the, you know, no, Cisco's the mayor and Odo's the sheriff and Quark is the, the Al Swearingen type salute yeah. saloon keeper. There's a Deadwood. Yeah. Well, yeah. It was like, because I guess Gene Roddenberry pitched Star Trek as Wagon Train in Space. Right. Well, did you guys know that he, Gene Roddenberry, actually wrote uh, for Gunsmoke the radio play? And he also wrote, uh, he actually did write Have Gun, Will Travel. Oh, really? The radio show. Yeah, he wrote, he had a, he was a, a radio play writer before, you know, or at the beginning of television. Oh, interesting. And I've actually listened to one of, one of his episodes on the Internet Archive. Mm-hmm. You know, you can listen to old-time radio. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've, 
I've actually listened to one of the episodes of Have, Have Gun, Will Travel that Gene Roddenberry wrote, uh-huh. and it is horribly racist. <laughs> it, is, it is almost un, you can almost not. I mean, yes. So he has a Roddenberry has uh, he's steeped in the 20th century Western ideals yes. and archetypes. So that doesn't surprise me. Well, talking about what one thing that really it's like for a pre nine eleven show. Sorry to go here. It like <laughs> okay, okay. We're we're gonna have to bring nine eleven into every podcast. So oh, you, okay. you you did you did work for us. So okay. Well, no, just like okay. Before when we were talking about it, Bajor and this next generation stuff, it's basically space Israel. Yeah, but now space, yeah. it's basically space Iraq, except it's before. <laughs> Before Iraq got all fucked up, they're talking about all the. They have a re- highly religious society called yeah. where they have a big emphasis on the prophets. And now that they've just come out of a war and an occupation, they're all split up, split up into factions. And Kira's like, "Oh, it'll never last. This government's going to fall apart." Also, they have a commodity that everybody wants. Yeah. So, yeah, we didn't talk about – yeah, it's basically the wormhole at the end of this episode is basically space oil. Yes. And I think we can go a little long on this episode since we actually are covering two episodes. Yeah. And this is our inaugural episode as well as True. you know the, the pilot for the one-and-a-half-hour pilot. <laughs> we have, this is ostensibly – It's a movie. A, a, you know, like a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and like Wade touched upon, you know, Cisco is given a character arc. At the beginning, mm-hmm. he's wanted out of Starfleet. He's been traumatized by the death of his wife and raising his son alone. He's been given a shitty assignment where nobody wants to be, uh-huh. <laughs> except for Bashir because he's an ignorant asshole. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's a dumb shit. And he actually uses the word frontier space. And he does it with a bunch of Bajorans who are just like, Frontier, this is like my home, you asshole. To make it a Deadwood parallel, he's like the guy who took Alma Garrett out into the will. You know, I'm going to go pan for oil even though I'm a rich asshole. And he ends up getting killed. Yeah, Right. And so – and at the end, you know, he – the wormhole is opened, which changes the political, you know, implications of Bajor. Yeah. And – they give Cisco the ability to move on with his life due to the meeting the celestial beings that live inside the wormhole. And I guess it's an artificial wormhole, but it's still not clear as to how or why the beings made the wormhole. Right. I'm not even sure that's ever really addressed ever. Yeah, I think they're like a wormhole group. The how and why doesn't matter. I don't think so, but you know, in the wormhole, they can live in nonlinear time and then. When anybody enters it, it causes them pain because they don't know how to think linearly. Right. Yeah. Cisco lives in linear time, linear time, but he's also stuck living in the death of his wife. Yeah. So that's like the thing that solves the question, and they can understand each other at the end. Yeah. And then basically, the episode is over. They Cisco decides to tell Picard. You know, fuck you, still, but I'm staying. Yeah, yeah. I'm, st- I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna smile, but I, I like what I'm doing here. Right. That was the one thing I was gonna say. Would at that point, and I'm just 
putting myself in Picard's shoes here. I would be worried about that. And I think he kind of is because he's like, should I not? How can I ignore what you told me that in the first scene we had together? Right. Right. But it seems like, okay, so you have this guy. He goes into a wormhole. He comes out. He's kind of grinny now. And he's got like a different pep in his step. And he's experienced something in the wormhole that makes him totally gung-ho to do the job now. Wouldn't wouldn't Picard be worried that he got like crazied? Well, that's what I thought about was great. Well, I mean, that's why fucking he's a, the best actor in all of Star Trek. Yeah. He can say so little without saying much. Because I even just watching it, it's like, okay, I don't, I, I don't trust this guy. He's not like, okay, Cisco, whatever you yeah. want. He's like, okay, well, I can't do that. You said you wanted to do this. I'm a military man. You know, I can't. And it's, But at the same time, he's like, I kind of owe this guy because I did kill his wife. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, and I mean, you know, because Picard gave him like a personal job too. Picard's like, I've come to love the Bajoran people because there was Michelle Forbes last season, <laughs> right, right. and like, and and so like, do this up, and they want to. I think they should join the Federation. A lot of people want them to join the Federation, and for some reason, there's there's not much here to make the Federation want to join them. Yeah, you know, or, or to welcome them in. So you got to give them something, and he goes and gives them the wormhole. Which is like one of the hottest spots in the galaxy now. So uh, it's like the only stable wormhole in existence. Right. Yeah, and so obvious, and to the uh, to an unexplored part of the Milky Way. So obviously, Bajor is now important. So obviously, obviously, Bajor will be welcome. You know, it's like whenever you hear that, like turkeys in NATO, you're like, how did that shit country get in NATO? Yeah, right. It's because at one point it was advantageous to put them in. <laughs> Sorry to our Turkish audience. We love you. <laughs> Sorry, we love you, and we, you're great members of NATO, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah, we don't have a Turkish audience. But uh, like you, you're like, how did hell did NATO? How did hell did Turkey warrant getting in NATO? Well, it's because at one point it served a good function, and Bajor is now going to get in on the Turkey clause. And so basically, he did everything that Picard asked him to do. But I would just be worried that he's like now a weird religious nut. Right. Well, yeah, I think Picard to an extent is like. Okay, well, man, I was going to give this guy this shit detail, even though I love the Bajoran people mm-hmm. and I want them to join the Federation. But now it's a lock, and, man, I would like to get somebody I trust in here, but I did kill this guy's wife. <laughs> I okay, can't. I guess. Yeah, yeah I can't. Right. I can't. And he's got a son. <laughs> he said. <Yeah. laughs> so, yeah. And, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I that was like I think that was just something I was just like wouldn't that have been like a worry that would have been is now and I know that the rest of the episodes deal with that with the religion and, and you know it's not so much that Avery Brooks feels that he met the face of God but everybody feels like he's now God but right. it's still it, it's it's just a strange thing every time I watch that scene I'm like I, uh, you need to ask more questions about what happened in the wormhole it seems to me <laughs> right. I did notice that one of the people that saved uh, saved Avery Brooks on the Saratoga was uh, Mott the Nosy Barber's uh, was one of one of his uh, kin. It was one of the blue face people. <laughs> they brought Mott's uh, Mott's uh, near do well cousin. Yes, yeah. <laughs> to help him out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, yeah. I guess before we wrap up. I wanted to ask you guys uh, one question. Okay. Yeah. So, if there's anything that you could change about this episode, what would you do? You go first, you. All right. I think the first thing I would do 
is I would figure out a way. I'd get a different since it's the first episode. I'd get rid of O'Brien. What? What? I, I would. I know this is a very unpopular opinion, but I would probably figure out a more. Inter- there's got to be a more interesting engineer out there than like using a part of the next generation set dressing. <laughs> And I know that they can't use Jordy. He costs too much. Well, I just like don't don't import anybody. Like bring somebody brand new in. It's a little bit weird, and you know, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't enjoy this. I didn't enjoy him in this episode. You know, it's something to keep an eye on as we as we go on. I do know in the next few episodes, it's uh, his his wife doesn't like the assignment. And so he's got like a lots of marital, like he he's got like marital issues, and I like that in the show. Yeah, because he's like he's kind of. I mean, she's not. I mean, she's right, but like you know, he's mostly like related to the fact that he's got this. You know, he's got a fully formed life, like Picard never, like Picard or Riker never did. He goes back to like you know a life at home. In his little cell. And his wife's pissed because she doesn't like that they went from being on the Enterprise to being in the shithole. The flagship. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, and then now she's on a shithole. And like, and I like that about it, that he's got to deal with all that stuff. And that's in the next few well, episodes. That's that, that, that's something we'll definitely keep an eye out next week. Yeah. What, all right. Who's, who's going next on this? On the change, you guys have any change? If you don't have any changes, you yeah. guys ask. I felt like they rushed stuff, and then there was like that whole sequence with the Cardassians at the Domjot table or whatever, and like the whole thing with getting him back on the ship and getting Odo on the ship, all basically so they could sneak away from the car. That's a lot of writing to just basically sneak away from the Cardassians. Yeah. When it seemed to me, like, the whole time I don't even understand why the Cardassians are a thing there. Because, I mean, like... Like, why did they have to get them off? Why did they let them into... I mean, can't you just say, hey, dudes, you just had a peace treaty. Maybe don't go to our gambling establishments for a little while. Like, I understand understand if Gul Dukat wants to come in and talk to him. Like, that's that's an official... You know, that's a military officer talking to a military officer. That's fine. That's how these things are supposed to happen. But don't don't have the card. You know you you know like don't let the Cardassians just run drink and run wild on your ship. That seems crazy. And then get to the they basically just wanted to show that Odo could look like a bag of gold. Yeah, that was about to say it's all <laughs> look at this fancy morphing technology that you haven't seen since <laughs> Michael Jackson's black or white video. It's the computers. Yeah, that's really all that they did on that episode. And it was like, and it was all, but because that's there, they had to rush like the whole ending. Yeah. And there's like, okay, we're going to show all this problems, how to get them on the Cardassian ship. Mm -hmm. But then we just teleport him back. Oh, he's at the exit point. Yeah, because you have this like you introduced this religious thing, she, you know the the Kyle Alpaca. Ki, Kyle Alpaca. <laughs> you know, gives him this this stuff, fingers his paw, and then gives him a, a pimp cup, and, <laughs> and orbs, not very round. Yes, it's the pimp cup of the prophet's paw, is what I wrote in my notes. Um, they gave him a pimp cup and, and sent him back. And I mean, so I get why all that's there, but it seems like you need to tie that in. That's a major part of the story and they don't go back and have him talk to Kyle Paca. They don't call him the emissary 
which is the title of the episode. <laughs> like, they don't establish any of that this episode, but I know a lot about uh, how Cardassians gamble. So it, that that's what I would change. I just learned that all aliens love tits. <laughs> don't, does it matter what kind of skeleton face they have? I remember. You just put a nice rack on them and they, they're cool. I, 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 was, I was like that too. And as she walked by, I was like, yeah, are we supposed to be turned on by her even though she's got like a vulture face? And I think we were. And it's yeah. a, it's it's an interesting time. After uh, Star Trek went in interesting directions after Gene Roddenberry left left us. <laughs> Wade, what would you change if you were going to change anything? Um, I think James makes a good point with the Odo on the Cardassian ship, and then they just skip over getting them back, which seems like yeah, <laughs> it was kind of clumsy, wasn't it? Just just throw some. Phase on energy edit to block their or sensors and just call it a day. Yeah, whatever. Just do some. Yeah, do some. They moved the whole ship by a means I don't understand. Oh yeah, that seemed kind of cheap. <laughs> why? Yeah, why can't you just evade the Cardassians through means I don't understand? It doesn't matter. You know. Oh no way. You know how they made move the ship faster. It was going to take two months to get to the wormhole. <laughs> yes. But then, and then they had the idea to make the ship lighter. <laughs> And if they yeah. made the ship lighter, they can move it faster. Uh, I don't think that's how space and gravimetric like physics works. Because weight is not a thing. Well, I think you're in space. Mass, you could change the mass somehow, but then everybody's bones would break immediately. Yeah. But weight is not a thing in space. I, you're wrong. I went to space camp. I know. That bothered me. That bothered me a lot. Yeah, that that got by the because I just I did find out that they have to put every script through like there's like even in like I guess in the nineties there was like a nerd core of like super fans that oh, yeah. that uh Berman employed to read the scripts. And like all of their notes are on memory alpha, like what they sent back is like Whoa. Yeah, like and on memory uh, on memory alpha it says so the notes for this episode was that in the original script, Kyle Paca said that the orbs came to them over a thousand years ago. But um, in the Ro Lauren episode, Ensign Ro episode of, D- mm-hmm. of Next Generation, it says that the Bajorans were walking upright before humans evolved on Earth. Oh, yeah. Or were running great. Uh-huh. So they had to like put it back way further. So she said over the, yeah, or the last 100,000 or 10,000 or something like that. So they had to move it back to make the religion seem older in scope. So that, and that, that I agree. That's the kind of nitpicking I kind of agree with. I don't know why. Yeah, it's called continuity. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. Keep it, keep it, keep that in order. But I don't really care about the interiors of the runabout. <laughs> yeah. If you're into that stuff, this is the first appearance of a runabout. Oh, really? Which you spend a lot of time on in the show, yeah. Yes, they do. Yeah, the only (laughs) ship they show in the opening credits is a shuttle runabout shuttle. Yes. They don't even show the planet, and they don't show Bajor. It's just, look at another angle. Yeah, I have no idea what Bajor looks like. It's blue. Is it? (laughs) It's beige. Uh, (laughs) It should be. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, it's earth tones and blue, but uh, okay. All right, all right. That's all I've got to say. I mean, this is a good episode. This is a yeah. No, I it, think it's great. I think this is a just good good TV, man. I think this is yeah. Uh, no, I think it's great. I think that's probably a good way place to wrap it up. We kind of went over a little bit, but uh, 
Yeah. It's our first episode. I think that makes sense. Anything for you to say, Hugh? I'm good, guys. Can't wait to watch the next episode and uh, meet you back here next week. Yep. I, I will be yeah. here, then. I agree. Thanks for listening to the rules of acquisition. Maybe yes. we'll uh, talk some more about those as we progress through this. Oh, yes. <laughs> we should actually learn what they are. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a, there's a lot of them. <laughs> yes, there are. Uh, Okay, cool. Uh, that's all. See you guys later. The end. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes. And that was the episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, I share my thoughts after listening to something that's four years old or recorded uh, over about four years ago. Well, first off, a lot's changed for all three of us since we recorded this. I think it's safe to say that a lot's changed for everybody all over the world since four years ago. But on a personal level, Wade, when we recorded this, was single and had roommates. And since then, he has found a life partner and moved in with her. Then they eventually decided to have a child. And so now Wade's a father. So he's had the most changes. James has moved the most since we started recording this. In the fall of 2015, he was living in St. And uh, James, for those of you who don't know, he's married and has two children. And since then, he moved to Memphis and lived there for a little while. And now he lives in the San Francisco area. He moved uh, in the summer of 2019. Um, Me? I recorded this in a hot, unconditioned attic in 2015 in a house that I was built in 1940, a very old house in Joplin, Missouri. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I am married with three children, and when I recorded this, I had a very small baby that year, and now he's he's going to be five in March of 2020, so yeah, my kids are getting older. Uh I had a lot of fun listening to this for a lot of different reasons. Um, most just the superficial stuff right off the bat. Uh, I r- laughed really hard every time called uh, called it Star Trek, <laughs> and then I I also uh, laughed quite a bit whenever he referred to Nichelle Nichols as Nicole Nichols. <laughs> um, that was pretty hilarious. You know, James v- well versed in popular culture. And Nichelle Nichols is a is a <laughs> is a television pioneer, and he he somehow called her uh, Nicole Nichols, which I thought was pretty hilarious. Another thing that uh, kind of took me aback uh, was just there's an overall chill aspect to to, to the show. None of us, <laughs> if we disagreed, we were, we were rather civil. There was no knives out. I think we were a little timid because it was the first time ever recording something. And we were just wanted it to go well. Uh, some other thoughts. Wade says right off the bat that we're going to be pretty chill with the nerds. Which I find interesting because later on Wade invents a little segment of the show called Nerd Corner. Where he is able to anticipate what the angry nerds w- would uh, pick apart. And so he kind of p- 
puts that perspective on and then we unpack it. So that was that was kind of interesting. Uh, I gave the show too much credit, I think, for the balance of science and religion after having gone through it. <laughs> I don't think it's that balanced. And I don't know what I was thinking whenever I said that. The three of us, you know, in this early episode, you could see that we don't agree on stuff right off the bat. Mostly Avery Brooks's performance, and that is a through line throughout the entire series. James was really hard on Nana Nov- Visitor, and he really ter- Terry Farrell's acting. Um, I forgot how much this first episode was about acting. And for those of you who don't know, all three of us were at one point or another theater majors so i guess we had a lot of opinions on that another thing james was in charge of doing a lot of the research for so he was kind of going to be our our guide to that and my favorite part of this episode is whenever he gets on the he extrapolates he (laughs) this long uh saga of rick berman sweating losing colin meany (laughs) And all, like, Wade and I just took it as, like, yeah, that's what happened, I guess, you know. Uh, none of us asked for any citation, any, you know. <laughs> he didn't cite anything specific when he when he did that. And I went back after listening to this episode and wondered how much Rick Berman actually was. And I couldn't really find anything on it. The closest thing I could find was a 2014 article from StarTrek.com. That's an interview with Colm. And I'll read that real quick because this may be where uh, James gleaned that information from. But I, you know, I'll just give you word for word what it was. Uh, interviewer, you were basically a background player in the TNG plot. Did anyone tell you then that it could lead to steady work? Meanie, no. Initially, it was just that, the pilot. Then there were to be some episodes I was in and that was, and some I wasn't. They just kept calling me back. I can't even remember, honestly, if it was supposed to be a one-off thing or reoccurring. I was just happy for the work. The character got a name, eventually, and then we saw a little more of him. And then they asked me to do Deep Space Nine. Here's the interviewer. By the time Deep Space Nine rolled out, you were, basic, you were a busy character actor doing lots of TV and film. How long and hard did you have to think about signing on to play O'Brien full-time as a regular on DS9? Meanie. It took a bit of persuading, but Rick Berman is very persuasive. He said to me, quote, If there's something you really want to do, bring me the script. End quote. My concern was that I wouldn't be able to do the movies I wanted to do. Rick basically said, quote, If it's a script you really want to do, I'll find a way to make it work for you. End quote. And he was as good as his word. Now that's basically all I could find on Rick sweating um losing Colmini as an as an asset for for deep space nine uh to james's credit the memory alpha for Colmini does go into quite a bit of detail on his movie success in the 90s so yeah he was he was spot on about that and i'm not dogging james i just i'm i think it's funny that he would he unrolled this big uh story about rick berman sweating losing meanie and uh James uh, Wade and I just was like, oh, okay. <laughs> we, there was there was no pushback back then. We just we just took things, uh, you know, as they came. Um. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this little bit of perspective. Uh, I might be back next week. I'm. It'll be one of the guys next week, and I expect uh, as we look back on these episodes, 
we will have more and more insights and corrections to come. So I hope you enjoyed this. Please be sure to check us out on our Patreon, Kickers of Elves. You can find us there if you just type that in the Google machine. We are doing new projects. We've got new podcasts on the horizon. We've got the second season of Hashish and Superiority, the Kickers of Elves book podcast. We will be announcing that book uh, pretty shortly, I believe, and we've got some other things in the works. So, thanks again for listening to the Rules of Acquisition. We hope you come back next week for another remix, one to be mount. Star Trek, Star Trek. This is a podcast Star. about Star Trek. Are we singing a song? <laughs> I, yeah, I was I was coming up with a <laughs> buffer music on my own. <laughs> So you guys can like auto tune that and then put some keyboards behind it. Yes. Is he is he gone too for a minute? Yeah, he had to go he had to go take a leak. <laughs>